This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hi there, my name is Simon Drew. I'm an alignment coach, a musician, and a writer from the Sunshine Coast in Australia. And this is the first of what will be many recordings to come, where I'll be diving deeply into the writings of the renowned Stoic philosopher Lucius Aeneas Seneca. Now, in this first recording, I'd like to give you kind of three core understandings before we move forward and start diving into these writings. Now, the first thing that I want to share with you is just a foundational history of the life of Seneca. Maybe give you some of the key moments in his life that shaped him and, and thus shaped his writings. Uh, and also just so that you have an understanding of the kind of person who we're dealing with here and some of his complexities. Now, the second thing that I want you to take away from this recording is an understanding of why I think that it's so important, at least personally, uh, that we study these writings of Seneca. What's the value for us in our everyday lives uh, for reading somebody like Seneca? And then finally, the last thing that I really want you to take away from this first recording uh, is an understanding of how I'm going to be approaching these writings as I dive into them. So, let's dive straight in and, and let's go and have a look at Seneca's life and get to know the man. So, a good place to start might be the very beginning. And uh, we find that Seneca was born in 4 BCE in Cordoba, Spain. Uh, he was born Lucius Aeneas Seneca or Seneca the Younger. The reason he was Seneca the Younger was because his father was called Seneca the Elder. Uh, and it's important to note that Seneca came from a well-off and well-educated family at that time. So Seneca's father was a famous teacher of rhetoric in Rome, uh, and his mother was also uh, very well-educated as well. Her name was Helvia. Uh, now, Seneca does have an elder and a younger brother. So his younger brother ended up being the uh, father of Lucan, who was a famous Roman poet. And an interesting thing to note was that his elder brother, Gallio, uh, actually met St. Paul in uh, 52 CE, so St. Paul the Apostle. And the reason that's particularly important to me, uh, as, just as a side note, is because the links between Seneca, uh, his writings, and the early Christian church are really interesting, um, and also very confusing and, and not very uh, not very concrete. Um, but there's, there's a lot of strange connections that go on. So, you know, we do know, for example, that Seneca was kind of adopted by the early Christian church because of the nature of his writings. Uh, and we even see that uh, early Christian theologians, for example, like Tertullian, uh, referred to Seneca as our Seneca. Um, and so it is interesting to, to think about that. And the reason it's interesting to think about that is because it tells you something about the nature of Seneca's writing. Uh, and, you know, personally, when I have been really studying Seneca, what I have found is that his writings are just as rich theologically as they are rich in philosophy. And personally, as I've read more and more Seneca, what I've come to see is that he's really on a mission 
to get you to uproot the weeds in your soul so that you can move towards a life of freedom and flourishing and save your soul. And that is a deeply theological mission. Uh, and it's also really interesting to note that there were some letters that were that were faked uh, that were supposed to be between Seneca and Saint Paul the Apostle, and of course these were later found out to be uh, to be frauds. Uh, but it still tells us that people were trying to draw these connections. People were trying to get Seneca into that canon of early Christian works. But getting back on track to Seneca's early life, uh, before he wrote all of this, he was actually trained as an orator and educated in philosophy at the school of Sexti. Now, we know him by the name of Quintus Sextius. Uh, and I'll bring Quintus Sextius back into the picture later on because uh, he can help us to understand why Seneca might be writing in the way that he writes. Uh, but so we do know that Seneca was well-educated, you know, he was a really great speaker um, and, and also, you know, trained in philosophy. Uh, so in 41, he was banished by Claudius, who was the emperor of the time, uh, who accused him of adultery. And he spent the next eight years of his life on a small island called Corsica. And this is really important to know because it can help you to understand a lot of what Seneca's talking about when he writes, because so much of what he tries to convey in his writings is the power of the human soul and the human spirit to overcome and transcend the suffering of our lives, including the suffering that might come from something as, as dire as being exiled from your country. I mean, imagine, you know, you have to leave your country of origin where all your friends, family, and everything that you've worked towards uh, are, and now you have to pack up and go to a small island and be exiled there. And this happened to so many philosophers and thinkers and orators uh, because they were uh, simply threatening to the, the tyrannical leaders of the time. And so there was some speculation over whether Seneca did actually engage in adultery or not, or whether this was just a grudge that the emperor of the time, Claudius, had for Seneca. Um, and, and that sort of thing happened all the time. So this can help us to understand that Seneca did go through tragedy and betrayal and, and everything that came with being in public office uh, in that crazy time in our history. Um, and, and so that's why he writes in the way that he does and, and helps us to understand the strength of the human spirit. Uh, but then eight years later, uh, Agrippina, who was the emperor's wife, had Seneca brought back to Rome in, in 49, uh, so after which he became the advisor to the emperor Nero. Now, Agrippina wanted Seneca to come back because she knew that her son, Nero, was going to be the successor to the throne, and he really needed some sort of philosophical guidance, a really good teacher, uh, so that he could keep his head straight. And uh, that just did not end up happening. Uh, you know, Nero, we now know, was one of the most tyrannical rulers of Rome. And in some, in some sense, you have to say, 
well, what would you expect? I mean, he started being the emperor when he was in his teenage years. That's absolutely insane. You become the most powerful person in the world. And that's not to, uh, that's not to belittle the things that he did, but it's simply to say that we, we can understand that this would have been a gigantic task for Seneca to try and guide this this young, foolish emperor uh, towards doing things that were virtuous. Uh, and, and it seemed like it was an impossible task. And there's this wonderful statue that you can see if you Google Seneca and Nero. You can find it uh, where Seneca is there pointing to some words in a book with this horrified look on his face uh, or, or more of this, uh, this, this kind of a, a tested look on his face uh, as a very bored and sinister looking Nero sits by by his side with a cloak. And, and you can kind of get a sense of the kind of relationship that they might have had, Seneca trying his best to guide this, this young man to be a good ruler, but it just not going how he had planned. Now, I will come back to Seneca's public life uh, briefly soon, uh, but I just want to jump ahead to the end of his life. And in the year 62, he actually leaves public office. And this was a very dangerous thing for him to do because uh, the last thing that somebody like Nero would have wanted was for people who were close to him uh, to be leaving him uh, because when they're not in his sight, they're very dangerous, right? And so between the years of 62 and 65, when he died, Seneca wrote his best writings uh, and his epistles. Um, and there's there's a lot that we have from Seneca. We do have his epistles, which are his letters to his friend Lucilius. Uh, we have uh, On the Shortness of Life, another great writing from his, some consolations that he wrote to his mother, Helvia, um, as well. Um, we also have On Natural Questions, which is um, a great bunch of writings of him talking about, uh, well, natural questions that he has about the natural world, um, which really ties in with his Stoicism as well. Uh, and also we have a whole bunch of tragedies that he wrote. So Seneca was a wonderful playwright as well, which is one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to him uh, as well as just because he was also an artist and being a musician. I look at somebody like Seneca and I think, isn't it wonderful that, you know, he, he kind of balanced uh, you know, his artistic side with his philosophical oratory side as well. But now briefly to the end of his life, Seneca did end up being sentenced to death by suicide uh, by Nero. So the man who he had tried to guide his, uh, for much of his life uh, ended up turning against him in the end. And by most accounts, Seneca died honorably uh, by committing suicide uh, and he ended up dying bleeding out in a bathtub uh, surrounded by people who loved him. And the reason that his death is, in my opinion, uh, probably the keystone moment of his life uh, is because he talks about death so much in his writings. And he talks about the ability, as I said earlier, of the human spirit to overcome the challenges uh, of life and to gain that freedom, which comes from knowing that you're living your life on your terms and you go when you want to go when things get too dire and you stay when you want to stay. But, uh, but you know, Seneca's uh, death is really, uh, you could call it a vindication of the kind of philosophy that he was talking about. It was proof of the pudding. You know, it was, it was the proof that Seneca was living in the way that he 
had written that he would like to live and that he would like other people to live. And, you know, this isn't to glorify suicide. Of course, it was still a terrible death and, and, and one that was mourned by many. But, uh, but in the end, you have to respect Seneca for the fact that uh, here's a person who wrote so much about how, for example, uh, the, the human mind has the ability to overcome the fear of death to overcome the fear of dying that we all seem to innately have and to live your life on your own terms and go out when you when you want to go out. Um, and, and of course, he was ordered by Nero, so this wasn't necessarily a, a choice, but, um, you know, in the same way that many philosophers died honorably, you could say that Seneca followed that tradition. And so up until now, I've painted probably a glorified image of Seneca for you. Um, But I don't want to be the kind of person who looks at Seneca and just says, here's this amazing philosopher, here's this hero of morality who can teach us how to live a good life. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of confusion out there and there's a lot of argument out there over whether Seneca was one way or another. Um, because there's a lot of evidence on the contrary that he was actually um, a kind of a hypocrite in, in, in many instances. And so I don't want to be that, uh, you know, here's this amazing stoic who lived a perfect life, a sage sort of figure. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's a really great passage that I'd like to read for you. Uh, and it comes from uh, Dying Every Day, which is a brilliant book about Seneca's life written by James Rom. I'd really recommend it for you all. Uh, but he, this is actually the, the very start of the introduction to the book. And I just think that James Rom paints such a great picture of the complexity of Seneca for us uh, and allows us to kind of dive into his life with, with a more balanced perspective. So he says the following, quote, The Two Senecas. Here is one way to describe the career of Seneca. Writer, thinker, poet moralist, and for many years top advisor and close companion of the Emperor Nero. By a strange twist of fate, a man who cherished sobriety, reason, and moral virtue found himself at the centre of Roman politics. He did his best to temper the whims of a deluded despot, while continuing to publish the ethical treaties that were his true calling. When he could no longer exert influence in the palace, He withdrew and in solitude produced his most stirring meditations on virtue, nature, and death. Enraged by his departure, the emperor had once advised seized on a pretext to force him to kill himself. His adoring wife tried to join him in his sober, courageous suicide, but imperial troops intervened to save her. And here's another way to describe the same life. A clever manipulator of undistinguished origin connived his way into the centre of Roman power. He used verbal brilliance to represent himself as a sage. He exploited his vast influence to enrich himself and touched off a rebellion in Britain by lending usuriously to its inhabitants. After conspiring in, or even instigating, the palace's darkest crimes, he tried to rescue his reputation with carefully crafted literary self-fashionings. When it was clear that the emperor's enmity posed a threat, he sought refuge at the altar of philosophy, even while leading an assassination plot. His final bid for esteem was his histrionic suicide, 
which he browbeat his unwilling wife into sharing. End quote. So those beautifully written paragraphs from James Rom really set the stage for us to understand that Seneca was not simple. He is not a simple figure. In fact, he's very complex. And, and the opinion about Seneca and his life uh, is really divided. And so a little bit of nuance actually helps uh, to understand his writings, because uh, who really knows exactly what he was like? And we know that one of the main difficulties that lies in our way to understanding Seneca deeply uh, is the fact that his writings kind of stand apart from his life in the sense that he doesn't actually write a lot about his political experiences in his writings. And so he's kind of shut them off uh, almost as if he's trying to hide that part of his life from us. And so that's one of the roadblocks in our way to understanding who he was. But I want to move on and tell you a little bit about why I'm so interested in in studying somebody like Seneca. So there are a few things that I would say about Seneca that really draw me in and 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 make me uh, excited to dive into his writings, because sure you can say about Seneca that he might have been a hypocrite. Uh, you can say about Seneca that he he might have uh, been too suspiciously linked with many of the political mishappenings of the time. Uh, but, you know, when I look at somebody like Seneca, I, I see and I read in his writings a, a man who is deeply engaged with life, engaged with the trials of life, engaged with the ups and downs, uh, entangled in this world uh, where he really you know, deeply desired to be a philosopher, but but maybe this was kind of the world that he had fallen into. Um, and, and so it's hard to know who you're reading. Uh, but I think that the people who throw Seneca out because of the potential for him being a sort of hypocrite, I think that they throw him out too quickly because when you read his writings, what you quickly understand is that Seneca was very, very aware of his failings as a person, as a human being, and the failings in his soul. And I want to read you a a little quote from Seneca as he starts one of his letters. He says the following, quote, So you're giving me advice, are you, you say? Have you already given yourself advice then? Have you already put yourself straight? Is that how you come to have time for reforming other people? No, I'm not so shameless as to set about treating people when I'm sick myself. I'm talking to you as if I were lying in the same hospital ward about the illness we're both suffering from and passing on some remedies. So listen to me as if I were speaking to myself. End quote. Now, I think that this is one of the keystone passages of Seneca's entire body of works, because it will especially his his writings, uh, his epistles, his letters to Lucilius, because what he's trying to get across here is that he understands that he is sick just like the rest of us, you know, and that is his task. His task is to be there at your bedside, suffering from the same thing that you're suffering from, and looking within himself and seeing what he can learn that maybe would be of value to you as well. 
And so, hypocrite or not, he understands that he's failing. He understands that he has a long way to go. And many times in his writings, he will say this. He says that he has so much to work on himself. And I think that that's beautiful. I think that there's a real humanity in that kind of writing. And it's one of the reasons why so many people, when they talk to me about reading Seneca's writings, they say one of the things that really draws them to it is they feel as though that he's talking to them. They feel as though they're building a close connection with Seneca. And I think that the humility that Seneca has of knowing that he is just as sick as the rest of us is the thing that makes him such an engaging philosopher for those who read him. And this is actually one of the main reasons why I'm so interested in in sharing these lessons of Seneca with you, uh, because, because that has been my experience of picking up his letters and finding myself building that close personal connection with Seneca in my own life and allowing his writings to to guide me and in that kind of way of two sick people trying to get better at the same time. Uh, it's such a, a beautiful connection that you can form with these writings. And another thing that I kind of look for when I'm reading philosophy or when I'm reading uh, sort of some sort of philosophical or theological work is I really want the writing to stir my soul uh, and stir me to action, to stir me in a way that's going to show me the faults that I don't want to look at myself, that are within myself, and, and to show me uh, how far I have to go, but then to motivate me to then take that action in my own life and to try and be a better person. And and that's kind of the feeling that I get from Seneca. And and. I want to share a passage that he wrote um, that can get us to understand why I might have this feeling and why you might also have this feeling when you read his writing. And it actually has a lot to do with the way that he was taught. So, you might remember that Seneca was taught philosophy in the school of Sexti, or the school of Quintus Sextius. And he continued to read Quintus Sextius's work throughout his entire life, and there's a reason why he loved uh, the work of Sextius. And here's the reason. He said, quote, I shall acknowledge to you the state of mind I'm in when I read his works. I want to challenge every hazard. I want to cry, why keep me waiting, fortune? Enter the lists. Behold, I'm ready for you. End quote. So, there we can see that what Seneca really valued in philosophical writings was to be stirred up and to be, to be motivated to be able to face the challenges of his life and to, to get into that state where he's ready to be engaged fully with life. And, you know, it's no surprise that that's the kind of writing that he loved because it absolutely comes out in his own writings. And I know that you're going to feel that as we dive deeper into these writings. So, by now you probably have a, a reasonable sense of the foundational uh, happenings of Seneca's life so that you can kind of understand how complex he was and maybe some of the moments that uh, made uh, him write in the way that he did. Uh, and, and you also probably have an idea of why I'm personally so excited to be diving into his writings. Uh, but now I just want to share with you quickly the kind of approach that I'm going to be taking uh, as we jump into these writings uh, and, and analyze them. So, in order to do that, I'm first going to mention that something that I haven't expanded upon as much as maybe 
uh, I should have in this first uh, recording is the very philosophy that Seneca claimed to be a student of. And that is, of course, the school of philosophy we know as Stoicism. And there's actually a reason why I'm not going to go heavily into uh, Stoicism in this first recording. And that is because, firstly, Stoicism is a really complex uh, set of ideas that form a cohesive whole. And so to give you the full background of that philosophy, uh, you know, would take a lot longer than this first recording. Uh, but what I will say is that you're, if you're interested in that, uh, then definitely go check out a few of my episodes on the podcast where I talk with uh, prominent modern Stoics and, and interview them about exactly what the philosophy is. And I've also done some introductory episodes as well. But uh, another reason why I'm not going to go heavily into it in order to uh, kind of start our journey with Seneca uh, is simply because I think that Seneca's thinking is unique enough that it might be helpful for us to dive straight into his first letters and go all the way through trying to ask the question, if Seneca was trying to share with us his own unique Senecaean philosophy, if Seneca was going to start his own school of philosophy, what are the principles by which he would have us live? And if we're going into it saying, well, he's a Stoic and so he must think this and he must think that and he must think all of these things, uh, that's going to give us a little bit of background to maybe a few of his ideas, but Overall, it might not be so helpful uh, in terms of actually being able to see the specific lessons that Seneca is trying to teach, where he might not necessarily fall into the category of Stoic thought. And so, to me, it seems like there's real wisdom in, in that saying that to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, I'm going to try and not just approach Seneca uh, from the standpoint of what are the Stoic lessons that he's trying to teach us. I want to get to know the very essence of Seneca's unique perspective on life. And I think that that's perhaps how he would have liked it. You know, there's a great passage that I'll paraphrase for you where he essentially says, well, you know, you say Zeno says this and Zeno said that, but when are you going to say something for yourself? When are you going to hand something down for the next generations of value? Uh, and and I think that from that perspective, it seems to me like Seneca would have liked us to have read his works with the view that he's not just going to be an ideologue. He's not just going to spout out the, the quotes of the, the Stoic philosophers who came before him. He's in this to add something for history. He's adding something to your life that you maybe can't get from someone like, for example, Marcus Aurelius, another famous Stoic philosopher or uh, an emperor, of course, um, or, or somebody like Epictetus. Uh, and so I really want to see the essence of what Seneca is trying to say here. But on the other hand, this does come with a caveat, which is that if he says something uh, and it has to do with the Stoic background that he has, I will be sharing that kind of knowledge with you and, and pointing out those times where his philosophy does align perfectly with that which he was really taught uh, and was trying to live by. And the final thing that I'd like to say, which is going to give you a picture of how I'm going to be approaching Seneca's writings, is I just want to let you know that this is going to be 
less of an intellectual pursuit uh, into the writings of Seneca and more of an experiential uh, sort of pursuit for me. It's going to be similar to an audio journal where I'm going to turn on the mic, I'm going to record my thoughts about particular lines and, and passages that Seneca writes and how they make me feel and how they make me think about my life differently uh, and how I think that they are practical and useful in my life and also in your life. So I want this to be really useful for you and I want to give you a sense of the kind of thoughts and feelings that I have as I read somebody like Seneca and hopefully uh, there'll be sort of a transmission of those thoughts and feelings over to you and you will have similar feelings that I have as I study uh, this wonderful philosopher. And, um, and look, at the end of all of this, what I would love is to have gone through uh, all of Seneca's writings, uh, or at least through uh, all of his letters, um, and then to maybe even write an essay uh, about the, the experience that I had really going deeply into his writings and the, the change that I experienced in my own life as a result of that. Because at the end of the day, philosophy is about transforming the way that you see the world. You know, it's about becoming everything that you could be as a human being, as a carrier of this divine spark, which we call the Logos. You know, philosophy should teach you what's important and what's not. It should teach you what to aim at and what to avoid. It should show you how you can use your gifts and talents effectively to make the world around you a better place, thus influencing the lives of everybody who you come into contact with. That's what philosophy is all about. And I've certainly found that Seneca's writings have been absolutely transformative in my own life, and I want to uh, now pass that over to you. Um, and I'm really hoping that, that this series and, and these recordings will, will at least um, uh, get close to doing that. Now, I know that I said that the previous point that I made was the final thing that I want to say, but uh, I also want to say that these series of, of me diving into Seneca's writing should only be a side dish in your journey uh, studying somebody like Seneca. You know, if you find that the things that he says and the things that I say about what he says uh, are really uh, transforming the way that you see the world or uh, giving you a lot of value, then I'd highly encourage you to pick up a copy of, of these letters, uh, the Epistles of Seneca, um, and, and start reading and, and have that own experience for yourself. Um, you know, and hey, even if this encourages you to go and pick up any philosopher who you uh, admire or are drawn to, uh, that would be a great thing uh, for me to know that, that this is helping people to, or encouraging people to pick up philosophy and uh, to allow it to do the job that it is supposed to do in your life. So without any further ado, I really hope that you enjoy uh, these short episodes and, uh, and I really hope that they are, they are helpful for you and, and I hope that they are food for your soul. Uh, so enjoy them and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.